This is a podcast where real doctors discuss fake medical emergencies. That means that unless you're listening because of advice you've gotten from your ghost mentor, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact your doctor. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Bain. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as The Good Noun, a Crisis on Infinite Earth-style mashup of The Good Wife, The Good Place, The Good Guys, and Alton Brown's Good Eats. Uh, this is Hi Everybody, a Bad Medicine <laughs> podcast. Every week we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. Uh, you can find this podcast online at Hi Everybody MD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at www.HiEverybodyMD.com. If you want to contact us, leave us a message, give us ideas for future episodes, or just let us know how we're doing, you can call us at 1-800-DOCTORB. That's 1-800-D-O-C-T-O-R-B. Did I say 1-800? I meant 1-530-DOCTORB. <laughs> um, the B stands for, boy, did I mess that one up. But also, I'm going to refer to the baby-stealing doctor, because that is a plot point I feel like is going to develop later on. Right. And uh, Jackson, what are we talking about today? Ugh. Um, we're talking about The Good Doctor, and actually the season premiere, which was a two-parter called Frontline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it just came out, so this is one of the newest episodes we've ever talked about. So if things change over the course of the series or we get things wrong, um, sorry. I anticipate us getting a lot of things wrong, mainly because, A, this is the first time I've ever watched The Good Doctor, and B, I don't know all the characters' names. Yeah. <laughs> um, the premise of The Good Doctor is... Autism gives you superpowers. Well, he has he has savant syndrome, mm -hmm. which used to be called idiot savant. So like Rain Man. Rain Man was an idiot savant. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how they refer to it. So usually these people have very, I guess, power, very good memories, can memorize mm -hmm. very well and process things really well. But the autistic part, like the social interaction, the poor eye contact, all that stuff, still intact. And they... Boy, did they play that hard on this character. Yeah. Yeah. This is our, our first first time watching the show for both of us. And neither of us are psychologists or psychiatrists or... Neuropsychologists. Autistic. Yeah. So we can't really speak to the accuracy of that portrayal. No. Uh, other than the fact that I do feel... And I, I did a little bit of reading. And there's kind of some back and forth on on the accuracy of the portrayal of Dr. Sean, uh, Dr. Sean Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Sean Murphy's portrayed by Freddie Highmore, his depiction of savant syndrome and autism mm -hmm. in that, at least in what I saw in these episodes, mm -hmm. a lot of it was very high level awkwardness outside of the communication issues of not being able to to read social tells and things like that yeah it was just a lot of it overall like was, yeah i agree with you just like full awkward kind of really almost robotic mm -hmm. and i don't know if he was trying to be robotic or that's why he describes the autism mm -hmm. but that was a little odd yeah it felt a lot like poor social skills as mm -hmm. opposed to neurodivergent and behavior and they touch on that a lot yeah. On, on uh, one of the patients in particular, mm -hmm. I think. Right. This is a ripped from the headlines episode called Frontline, where we are seeing the hospital as it deals with the first few months of the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah. And they start off with a patient that goes into the, it sounds like a doctor's clinic. I don't know which doctor, if it was one of the doctors in the show or if it was like a primary care doctor, but kind of describes that she has like a sore throat, cough and all that stuff said like oh it's probably not covid because you have a sore throat it's probably just the flu but it's like a flu strain and it constantly mutates and that's why you're feeling the way you do yeah and because she said oh i'd had the flu shot yeah and you still got sick and that's why she explained it that the flu virus does constantly mutate and that's why you probably got it which i will say when covid first started we weren't sure what it was going to be like i mean we all yeah a lot of us thought it was going to be like the flu and then you realize that it goes completely completely nuts really quickly right um, the episodes we were recording in January and February, we discussed it a couple times and said, talked about the mortality rate yeah. versus the mortality rate of the flu. And we learned things quite quickly that we didn't know in January and February. Um, we learned a lot and there were 
there's some things that we said on on this show that turned out to be oh, inaccurate so, so as inaccurate. we as we learn more. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. And also kind of if you go by how this show is, the mortality rate is ridiculously high. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like 50 percent of the people got killed that we right. focused on. It's not that high, but they did touch on a lot of those complications, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. And like so before before we get into this, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is something we've really talked about much on the show before because of when we took our break. But so Jackson obviously deals with COVID-19 on a daily basis when he's working. Mm-hmm. I dealt with it because my dad was one of the first cases in Ohio and was on a ventilator for either 15 or 19 days. I always screw that up. A lot. Yeah, for, for a long time. And he's he's made an amazing recovery. I don't say miraculous often, but it's a it's somewhere where I, I would say that because, I mean, he's a, he's a guy who had pre-existing breathing conditions and he's... I I won't say back to 100%, but he's back to pretty darn close. Uh, he's he's able to go fishing. He's going hiking and things like that after being intubated for more than two weeks. Yeah, and people this. don't bounce back quickly from mm-hmm. that. I mean, that's like one of those things that happen in a lot of TV shows is the minute you get extubated or the minute you're off the ventilator, you are ready to go back to 100%. And I think that does mm-hmm. happen in this episode, too. There's a lot of storylines um, that happen here. Um, but I think it's a good... I mean, that's a kind of a good segue into the episode itself. Yeah. Jackson's kind of broken it down patient by patient. And before we get into that, I do want to say that one thing that I felt they did right mm-hmm. was that fact of the doctors were learning things week by week. Mm-hmm. You know, they said sore throat isn't generally a symptom at the time. And then a couple of weeks later, there was the, well, I've, I, I forget if they said that they are smelling things weird or they're not smelling things so weird. One of the patients did mention that he couldn't smell anything. Yeah. And they said, is that a symptom? And the doctor said, don't we know. don't know, but we think it might be. Yeah. And I think in the beginning of this whole ordeal and pandemic itself, a lot of the times all of our information was coming just from general group sharing. So like there mm-hmm. were Facebook groups like the COVID nineteen physician group where we would all like post up, hey, this is what we're doing, this is what we're trying, it kinda works. Maybe you should try it at your hospital. There's listservs that remember listservs and news groups. Mm-hmm. That was a thing too. So people were using those to actually disseminate information as well. But like there's nowhere to look this stuff up. This is like a this was a brand new illness, still learning about it to this day. And the way we're getting the information is really through word of mouth and kind of now that tests are coming out with standardized treatments and at least with more testing and rigorous scrutiny of a lot of these uh, treatments, we're getting a better idea on how to manage it. And that's why Mm -hmm. a lot of that could be one of the reasons why mortality rate is going down a little bit, but it's that morbidity stuff that is really getting the patients too. And what's the difference between mortality and morbidity? So mortality is what kills you. Morbidity is what hurts you. So the stuff that you're dealing with after the fact, things like heart complications, blood or clots, blood clots, breathing complications that, the that fog. persist. All that yeah, stuff fog. is like the stuff that lingers and lasts. The morbid stuff, the stuff mm-hmm. you don't want to know is going on or is happening. You know, you still have your mortality. Mm-hmm. You're still alive. But it's that's the big reason why you should be avoiding catching the illness. It's not so much that, oh, you're young, you're not going to die from it. It's really what happens if you survive it and you start getting all those other complications that you should be worried about. And I think that's the thing everyone kind of loses sight about because it's so easy to go like, I'm young, I'm not going to die. Sure. But is your exercise capacity going to be back to normal? Are you yeah. going to have are, weird are blood clots? Are you going to lose 10% of your lung capacity? Are you going to have more blood clots? Are you not going to uh, be able to taste and eat for a long time? That's a that's like a, one of those things that you don't want. Right. Is losing your sense of taste and smell. Because then food and all the stuff that makes you happy is gone. Because then beer stops being delicious. Yes. But then you can have like disgusting beer and call it seltzer water. And it'll still work. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by that pink lemonade natty light. Oh, Natter Days? Mm-hmm. I will say this. One of our local breweries here made a pink lemonade IPA, question mark. Really good. Oh, yeah? Is yeah. that Modern Times? Nope. Epic. Ah. It was fantastic. Um, 
But yeah, let's jump right into this case. Um, I think the first patient was the first patient of the whole episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it was this lady. She was the one who said that she thinks she has COVID and all the ner- the doctors are like, hmm, can't be it. But then um, two weeks later after that initial visit, she was already on a high flow nasal cannula. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one thing that kept kind of shifting back and forth in the episode was when they were on the high flow cannula versus the normal cannula and then describing those terms interchangeably. So those okay. two things are very, very different modes of delivery. Okay. And so the the high flow nasal cannula, that would have been for those who watched this episode, it would have been the one that enclosed both the mouth and the nose, right? No. Okay. So it's the thicker one that was just in the nose. The one that looks okay. like a Morton Joe in uh, Mad Max. Okay. Like, you know, it, the where one? it was like it was covering the full nose Pretty and, much. Like, uh, and the cheekbones a little bit. A little bit, yeah. So that one would be the high flow nasal cannula. And the difference between the two is nasal cannulas can only really deliver up to about two to four liters, I believe, um, at most. Whereas a high flow nasal cannula can get up to like 20. And uh, why would you need that additional volume? So I guess a, a good analogy would be if you're blowing through a straw, you're able to blow pretty easily with like relatively low pressure, right? Or low volume. But if the straw is a little occluded, you need a lot more flow and a lot more pressure behind it to kind of push it through. So you're like using more energy, more volume of air to try to push whatever is blocking the end of it. So it's because it's harder for them to breathe, but not because they need the assistance breathing. It's just that that it's harder for them to pull, yeah. pull the air so through. So it's, it's more like a it's like more pressure okay. to expand your lung a little bit without going towards like BiPAP where you need a lot mm-hmm. more pressure and then going towards intubation, which is essentially putting the tube down your throat and then blasting pressure that way too. Yeah. So that's like the big okay. difference between the two. Um, but that lady does not do well. No, no, she um, does not. And they kind of jump around with her. Like her sats were low, but she never really changed colors. Um, mm-hmm. But they're like, okay, we need to put you on a ventilator, which in this episode, if it basically sounds like if you get put on a vent, your sur- your chances of survival were pretty low. And almost, I think all the patients that got discussed in this episode got put on a ventilator, right? Um, I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Or at least the ones that we saw. Um, First lady, yeah, except for the one who opted, the nurse who opted not to. She still got tubed. Oh, she did get tubed? At the end. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think every all four all four of the patients over two episodes got tubed. But my big okay. problem with the tube for this first patient was just how they did it. They're like, oh, okay. Um, I don't know if you like remember. They're like, okay, let's prepare for intubation. Usually, when we do that, you want to oxygenate them up as much as possible, unless they're decompensating and you need to put in a tube quickly. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they were kind of working pretty slow. Right, everyone was pretty calm. There was like no real equipment in the room, and then. Mm-hmm. Usually if, so how we intubate someone or get them ready to intubate is first things first is we make them sleepy or knock them mm-hmm. out so they completely become dissociated. Then you paralyze them so that their vocal cords don't keep moving. Because mm-hmm. when you hit the vocal cords, they can clamp down and then you won't be able to pass a tube anymore. So you want to intub- paralyze them so they can't do that. And you also don't want to paralyze them when they're awake. So that's why you sedate them first. It's an mm-hmm. obvious kind of stepwise approach, right? So... You don't want to go slow because the minute you stop bagging them, they start dropping their oxygen saturation. <laughs> so it's, it's not a take your time and do this right situation. It's a do this right and do this right situation. Yeah. And for adults, you do have a little bit more of a reserve, but these are patients that have not been breathing well for a long time. So they don't have much mm-hmm. of an oxygen reserve. So you kind of want to get that tube in pretty quickly. And um, so when I heard one of the doctors goes, go slow because you don't want the patient to cough. Your patient shouldn't cough. Because, because they're paralyzed. Exactly. So that's a really hard thing to do if you're paralyzed. So you're supposed to, like, you know, really take your time. Yes, take your time. Make sure it's going in the right, too. But don't take that much time. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, like, irked me really hard. Um, and then in the real world, how we're doing intubations now for COVID patients is, yes, we're wearing, like, a lot of PPE. But we actually have an intubation box. So we actually put a clear box over your head. And then have ports that we put our hands through so that when we bag you, every time you bag someone, you actually aerosolize their spit and mm-hmm. mucus in the air. And when you, when you say bag someone, it's it's where you have that there. It's the plastic bubble, essentially, that you're squeezing yeah. to push air to in To push air into their lungs. 
Yeah. So when you're doing that, though, you're essentially aerosolizing all of that into the air. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have the box there so that it doesn't aerosolize straight into our face because the more exposure you have to it, the more likely you're going to get it. Right. Right. The viral load will be higher. And that's like a big reason why physicians and healthcare workers in general, like nurses, respiratory therapists and whatnot, get sick is because we're exposed to that constantly. And a ventilator is also going to aerosolize it, correct? It can. But if you can hook it in quickly and then hook it up to a viral filter, which is things that we have, it actually can reduce that quite a bit. So the goal for intubation in that case with a COVID person is, yes, you need to bag them, but you try to reduce it as much as possible and do it as a true rapid sequence intubation. So you're basically push med or push sedation, push paralytic, look in the mouth as quick as you can, put that tube through, hook them up to the viral filter, to the ventilator, get them breathing again, fast as you can. Not as slow as possible so they don't cough. (laughs) Which I... I actually had to pause the episode and go, I got to write a lot. <laughs> and I did. So we're back to recording remotely because of the, because of the spikes in COVID. We, we've opted to, to go back to, to doing this remotely be- rather than being parts of each other's bubbles yeah. or pods. Right. Yeah, our, our, our podcast was our pod. Yeah. And this is the first time that we haven't watched something together in a while. Yeah. And so, well, Jackson was saying, oh my gosh, I need to take this back because... That was that was ludicrous. I was thinking, oh, man, they did a really good job with this. I'm impressed. Nah, they need some work. At least they used the right tube and they used uh-huh. pretty much the right materials and all that stuff. So that was nice. So I appreciated that. And then the like the case gets worse, though, because then mm-hmm. they go, OK, let's put her on ECMO, which we've discussed on this podcast before. Yep. So it's like bypass. They did steroids. Still not doing well. And then someone yells at the patient's impulsus VTAC which was very amazing that she was able to determine that because she didn't check for a pulse. <laughs> because your your first, if you just saw it on a monitor, I would say first, VTAC. You'd say VTAC. Mm-hmm. Um, which means ventricular you, tachycardia. Okay, okay so, so the pulseless thing and the VTAC are two different things. So, you can, so VTAC tells me what kind of rhythm your heart's in, right? Mm-hmm. But pulseless means that the heart is quivering so much. So VTAC means your ventricles are just quivering. And not adequately okay. pumping blood. So if it VTAC gets to a point where it's quivering, going super quick, but it's not pushing blood around your body, you're not going to feel a pulse. Okay. Right. So that's why they would say yeah. pulse is VTAC. But whereas I, as the non non medical guy, mm-hmm. I interpret that as the heart has ha- has stopped and mm-hmm. not the heart is not functioning properly. I mean, thank God they didn't go. Oh, this patient's in asystole. Let's shock him. Mm-hmm. They actually did say this patient's in VTAC, but no one's doing CPR because that's actually the first thing you need to do in BLS and mm-hmm. in ACLS is you got to you gotta push on that heart. You got to get that blood pumping again. So they don't do that, but they hook her up to the pads and then the, they use the right medications. So that was cool. So they called and them, mm-hmm. they didn't use uh, paddle paddles. Yeah. No one really uses paddle paddles anymore. Yeah, I know. Except for in television. Yeah. We, so this is a this is the first time I think that we've seen a uh, a, a a defibrillation on television that we've discussed at least that didn't have the pan, the paddles from the 1980s. Yeah, it's an unsynchronized shock. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, no, is this synch- I'm trying to think. Is it synchronized cardioversion or is it synchronized shock? Oh no, no, it's it's synchronized because there's still a rhythm because it's VTAC. It's not like fibrillation or anything like that. So they're synchronized. They're shocking. I'm trying to do this right in my head so I don't sound like a dummy to my real (laughs) ER doctors. But you should be doing CPR at that point. It is a shockable rhythm. It definitely is. But they call it pretty quick, I would say. Yeah. They kind of like push on the chest for a little bit and then cut to commercial. And then they go outside and they're like, oh, she's dead. Mm -hmm. And the thing that made me the most upset, which it shouldn't, was... To tell the bad news, they all took off their masks. And yes, every single every, time. You can't emote without your mask with your mask on, though. Right. <laughs> it, 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 not just that, but um, there's so much it, not mask wearing, and it killed someone. Yeah, that, there there was so much specifically. You know, there was not mask wearing in situations where it was patients interacting with the doctors for the first time. Yeah. Um, that and that just shocked the heck out of me. Yeah. 
Um, and also the idea of the doctor is going to come and have a conversation with you in the parking lot was not something that was happening in March and April oh, God, of no. 2020. No, it's a I, lot of it was, I, again, I don't work down in or up in the inpatient units, but a lot of the, the conversations are done like by a telephone or yeah. time or whatever, not, hey, let's meet in the back and we'll do some discussions. That's really out in the open. If someone walks by, they can hear all of it. Yeah, and I didn't even think about that aspect of it. I was just thinking about the aspect of, you know, what that would actually lead to would be um, if it's a 200-bed hospital, 200 families mingling in a parking lot waiting for news. Yeah, that that's all really bad logistically. And I get emotionally for a drama, that's a better way to kind of do it. Yeah. But in practical human sense, I wouldn't want to hear bad news standing out in the parking lot six foot away. Right. That just doesn't sound adequate. Yeah, it, going back to to my dad's story, I'm in California, there in Ohio, and discussions with my family of even if you could go back, you know, it wouldn't make a difference because a I'd have to quarantine for two weeks after I I got there because I'd have flown, and b I was just as in touch with the doctors as they were able to be, even though they were a mile and a half away, yeah. and I was two thousand miles away because. Everything was over the phone to begin with. Yeah. And even when my dad, you know, went from being inpatient in an ICU to inpatient in a rehab facility mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks, my family wasn't able to see him between between those periods of time. But but they that's where they went to the parking lot and they, you know, waved at the ambulance as it took him to the second facility. Yeah. And I think the other weird part with the whole care of this patient was the daughter comes back. And wants like a memento, I think, or something mm-hmm. that belonged to the mom. But everything was stored in like COVID patient belonging room. Yeah. Why the hell did that doctor go in there with no mask <laughs> or gloves or any PPE? And not just go in there, but sit in there for a long time. And we know that you can potentially have the organism stay on that stuff for a while. Especially if they're yeah. constantly at, bringing at that in point new in time. Yeah. At that point in time, we thought that it was going to be staying on things for up to 14 days. Yeah, we're not sure. So, like, why aren't you wearing a mask and at least gloves? Yeah. Or, uh, or how about this? That was after you found the thing and then you tried to return dog tags to a friend. Why did you stay in that room to look up more information about said friend and phone calls and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. No way. And not. Yeah. Um. Or if you have a ghost doctor, why didn't you have the ghost doctor do the looking for you? Because he's already dead. Oh, Lord, that was Dr. McGhosty. Yeah. That was, uh, not having watched this episode, that we didn't know the that there were ghosts. That confused the crap out of me. Holy yeah. crap. I, I'm, I'm assuming that was her lover that died. Yeah. I did not know what was going on. And I thought he was going to guide the, that girl to everyone. Because he was a conduit to the spirit world. Mm-hmm. But that case, that first case ended sadly. Yes. Second case, uh, is the second case going to be the Skype family? Yes. Second case is Skype family. So, Sean, again, okay, one quick question about the whole thing. Are there no other doctors in this hospital? I think it's Scrubs Theory and everyone is a specialist They're all surgeons. They're all surgeons. Oh, they're all surgeons. Yeah. Okay. Um. Why are surgeons with, working in the ER and working the COVID floor? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, di- I didn't realize they were all surgeons. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it scrubs. It, it, it scrubs. It's ER. No, I guess it's not ER because ER, they're all emergency, re- uh, emergency specialists. Correct. But I think the weird thing is, okay, so Sean's a surgeon. Why is he having a clinic to see a patient and his chest x-ray? Mm-hmm. Right? That's how he diagnosed him with uh, COVID. Just based on mm-hmm. his x-ray, which you don't see ground glass opacities super well on x-ray. It's usually by a CT scan. And you know that from experience when yep. your dad had to get a CT scan to see if there was ground glass opacities, right? Mm-hmm. You don't diagnose it just on x-ray. So I I was surprised he got there. Like the other thing ground glass could be is cancer. So it's not just like, oh, it's COVID right away. Like it could be other things as well. So I was surprised how quickly he jumped to COVID. For someone who was like, I don't know a lot about COVID yet. 
Right. Um, and just this is something I know from you is around that timeline of when things were going on. Um, so one possible explanation for why are surgeons handling these sorts of cases is because it's all hands on deck. Yes. But in actuality around that time was when doctors were getting furloughed because um, some of the volume was high at certain hospitals. Yeah. The, the volume was very high for ICUs, but everything else had gone down so much. Yeah. Like the elective surgeries got canceled, which they mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I Kids weren't falling off swing sets. Yeah, but I didn't expect my pediatric surgeons to moonlight at an, another hospital or in their ICU or anything like that. Because the training's very, mm-hmm. very different. Like maybe if you were fresh mm-hmm. out of residency or med school and you had that knowledge of ventilator management, fluid management, all that stuff, then maybe. Like they did that with my brother-in-law, who's an endocrinologist, but he was internal medicine, just finished his residency, and was told that, hey, you might need to work in the hospital floors to make sure these patients are fine. He at least has like that basis, you know? Mm-hmm. A surgery residency is very different from an internal medicine residency, very different from a pediatric residency. So the experience is a lot different. So your knowledge base to handle situations like that it might not all be there. And not to say that surgeons are bad doctors, it's just they have a different special... Su- a different set of skills that might not translate as well. A jet mechanic's not a bad mechanic, but might not be able to rebuild your fridge. Exactly. That's like a good way to kind of think about it. So that's why it was odd to see him, uh, Sean, as a surgeon doing clinic work, diagnosing patients with COVID and then admitting him to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And as they were testing all of those patients, Mm -hmm. none of those patients were wearing masks. No. And he actually sent that patient home. He said, like, oh, you have COVID, go home, mm-hmm. right? Come back when you feel worse. And he only came back because his wife made him because he already lost right. 10 pounds. And then um, the odd thing was Sean listens to his lungs and goes, his oxygen's low. He needs to be admitted right away. I think he looked at a chart as well. I think he looked at something. I hope he, he did because all I saw was he was listening to the lungs and he just said, they're low. Start him on heated high flow nasal cannula at eight liters per minute send him away no he, he looked at something okay um uh that was that was there because he didn't get a good listen and usually when you're that low that everyone's panicking and to start him on oxygen you start showing mm-hmm. at least some signs you know right and he so one thing that you brought up a lot with mm-hmm. this patient um that you brought up in general is that lips turn blue and you you get blue in the skin and pallor yeah um, when you when you have low oxygen. Yeah. They did show that with this patient later yeah. on. Yeah, later on for sure, he looked like poop. And I think that was like a good sign right there. Um, mm-hmm. And then as the episode goes on, they keep on arguing whether or not he needs to be intubated. And I think I wrote down, he is cyanotic as F. <laughs> he needed to be on it already. Uh, uh, cyanotic meeting? Blue. He's blue. Okay. Blue as crap. And then they noticed that his heart was already starting to develop, like, vegetations and all this stuff, and they wanted to take him to surgery and all that right away. Like, there mm-hmm. was a lot of things happening without proper testing for him. Okay. And that was kind of concerning. And, and it ultimately ended well, in an amputation. Well, yeah. And that little wand that he was using, so that, that measures, we call that a Doppler, um, and you can actually, it's like a, think of it like a really good microphone. And you mm-hmm. place it on the skin, and you can actually hear a pulse. So a whoosh. You just hear whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And that will tell you that you can feel a pulse. The pulse that he was trying to measure was super, super deep. And usually in those situations, I would use an ultrasound just to try to really get a good visualization. Um, when you say super, super deep, do you mean like tonally? Like it was No, I mean like buried. To... Okay. Like under muscles. Okay. So it's a little harder to use that microphone to kind of detect it. I mean, it's probably possible, but I, I feel like there's other things that are a little um, a little more accurate to tell what's going on. But that was like the big concern for him was he started getting worse. Um, they said that he might have had a blood clot and he just they just started him on heparin right away. And remember, this is like that case in Chicago Med where they wanted to do the CT scan. Um, mm-hmm. But then things kept on getting delayed and whatnot. Like this is a time when get that patient to the CT scanner, figure out if there is a clot and then get that patient started on heparin right away. And I don't think they were doing all that really well. Like there was so much with this patient that was gone south. 
is heparin not a brand name of a drug or is it is it a generic heparin's generic i believe okay it, it being one that i knew the name of mm-hmm. i i thought it was i didn't know it was a gener- generic one so I it's was been around for a so long time surprised. So okay heparin. and it's an anticoagulant mm-hmm. right yep so they use that to kind of try to melt that clot away kind of like what we were mentioning before but when you have that you can actually get something called hit which is heparin induced thrombocytopenia so you can actually get issues where you're having bleeding um too much bleeding and then all of a sudden forming clots at the same time so instead of okay instead of actually just thinning out your blood you're actually thinning your blood and then making chunks at the same time and the concern with that is you can actually form those clots in tiny vessels that eventually grow bigger and then cut off blood flow, then causes you to get amputated. Mm-hmm. And that, Which is what happened yeah. with this patient. Yeah. And that's like uh, a, we, and, and the other kind of thing with that too is COVID also messes up with your clotting. Mm-hmm. And that can also lead you to get amputated as well. The Other than not getting them to a CT scan on time, mm-hmm. how, how was the treatment of this patient? I mean... Stepwise, I, medically, I'll, I'll break it down. Medically, it was like a good stepwise kind of progression. You know, this is a patient mm-hmm. who initially came in, bad chest x-ray, probably should have close follow-up and kind of watching out. Like this is a patient I would probably make sure they see the regular doctor or at least come back to the ER in a week or two to, or at, in a week at least to get rechecked just to make sure they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Started the patient on oxygen really quickly. Um, then got intubated a little slower. They were trying to like do the nasal cannula longer to keep them, you know, avoid going down the tubing route. And then um, started noticing that the end title was going down, started on heparin because of concern of a blood clot, and then eventually got lower leg amputated, which did save his life because if that leg dies or it becomes necrotic, this is a patient that's not moving around, can fire mm-hmm. off more clots, can get septic and actually die quicker from something else. Um, somatically, pretty good. Um, from a customer service standpoint, yeah, this was definitely the good doctoriest of the patients. Holy crap! What a crappy uh, doctor. So yeah, he was he was no bedside manner whatsoever. Mm-mm. But he was also dealing with the patient's wife was FaceTimed in literally twenty four seven. Yeah, uh, including in emergency situations sure. of oh, we think this guy's got a clot and we've got to remove the leg and she's hearing about that on facetime as it's happened yeah normally at that point i assume that the patient's family would already have been escorted out asked politely but firmly asked to leave if i have to do some kind of intervention that is very intensive like an intubation or Mm -hmm. a central line or something like that i will ask people to step out pretty firmly Mm-hmm. And I agree with you on that. There's a better way to do it than what they said, though. Right. But if they were just on FaceTime, I assume that that call would have been disconnected or put down. Put, like So either put down or we use other resources, like maybe a social worker or mm-hmm. a chaplain, someone like that who can be easily available and talk to the family while we're doing all this other stuff. Yeah. Not to make them feel like they're being disregarded. Because it's a stressful right. situation for those families. So you want to make sure that they're heard. Unfortunately, it's hard to hear when you're trying to focus on other stuff. So you want to have someone who can listen and then relay that information back mm-hmm. to you when things are a little more calm. Yeah. Uh, it, it continuing with the, you know, stories from Johnny's life. That was my situation when my mother passed was, you know, we were we were dealing with the, the social worker who was the one who was checking in with the. Uh, with the doctors because it was a it was an emergency situation and you know escalated over the course of like 24 hours um and so we were getting that information relayed to us regularly and it was this was 11 years ago so obviously not a covid situation but so we were able to be in the hospital and you know there was a a well-appointed family waiting room for for us to wait privately and and check in with that social worker every uh every two, three hours, maybe. And that's the thing. You need to use the resources available for you. And I think in that case, using a social worker to talk to the family while Mm -hmm. dealing with something really stressful is probably a better way. So you don't look like a callous jerk. Yeah. You actually look like you care and you're trying to manage everything in a timely manner. 
Yeah. And it, let's go back to my dad. In the COVID scenario, I was we were talking to his his nurses mostly, but we were talking directly to his care providers. Um, and I think that was largely, I think in a different scenario, maybe we would have been dealing more with, with chaplain social workers, something along those lines. But the staff was staffing was so limited that we were we were talking to the boots on the ground because the boots on the ground were the only ones who were there yeah and i think that could be one part of it too and it could be that the staff could have been really stretched out Mm -hmm. um let me break up all of this sad talk with uh, (laughs) random things that i only i would pay attention to only because i work in the hospital uh, there was a lot of food around the nurses' station. There was that nice golden time when we got food all the time. Super awesome. Uh-huh. Not happens anymore. Maybe, Nobody, you're, you're not getting unexpected pizzas anymore? Oh God. There was one day where there was like, no joke, 50 pizzas um, delivered to our hospital or just to the emergency department. We're like, we cannot eat all this pizza. I almost ate one whole pizza in one city. Like, <laughs> this is too much pizza. So we were like giving it around. But it kind of was a good bridge to... I don't know what that doctor's name was, but every time she got into the elevator in her own apartment, that lady would make her wait for the next elevator. Mm-hmm. That is a very common thing. And then after the elevator door would close, like, thanks for what you do. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you. Good Lord. That stuff makes me so mad. Actually, some of my nurses got yelled at because they would go before work or after work to get gas or something like that or run errands. And they would get yelled at by the general public because they didn't change out of their scrubs or anything like that before running errands. Because mm-hmm. everyone was paranoid, you know, but that general kind of sentiment of, hey, we appreciate what you do, but screw you, get away from me or yeah. whatever. Very common sentiment. But also just the general, I don't know, it was a lot of lip service, it felt like in the beginning. And it, now it definitely feels like it more where everyone's like, oh, you guys are heroes, blah, blah, blah. And then kind of forgot. And now, Or like the the title card at the beginning of of both of these episodes of wear your masks but the doctors don't my eyes rolled so hard i look like the undertaker all you could see were the <laughs> whites of my eyes that's how how just over it i was with that part <laughs> this whole episode these two episodes i should say very hard for me to get through mm-hmm. there's something about these serious medical dramas that have been very tough for me to get through and the, yeah if you go back and listen to like resident or chicago med oh it's the same it's that same feeling it's just welling up inside me right now but yeah but they try to get yeah. emotional in this one too with the third patient with the pregnant patient mm-hmm. Ugh. this is the surgeon who is treating this patient uh, is one whose Babies. family is in Arizona, yep. and he's in San Jose. Yep. Um, they did a good job of depicting San Jose, so I, yay there. <laughs> I um, don't let, know. Let's much, continue. I don't know much about San Jose. I know you do yeah. compared to me. Yeah, I, I lived there about five years. Yeah. So she, they said she was pregnant. They said mm-hmm. she had difficulty breathing. They slam her with some pretty hard antibiotics, like vancomycin are like our two big guns that we use for people were in septic shock. She didn't look that sick, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But they slammed her pretty hard. That was an odd thing. Would they have been, in your opinion, I mean, I know you're not a OB guy, mm-hmm. but uh, would they have, do you, do you think they would have, in reality, been a little more conservative with the antibiotics given that she was pregnant? I don't believe so. But again, I'm not an OB guy doctor, so I'm mm-hmm. not sure. The other thing that kind of seemed ominous was she was in her room and they're like, oh, you're getting worse but you're still okay we can do oxygen the ventilator was already in her room <laughs> uh, that was like the most ominous sign for her i'm like oh they're gonna use that by the end of this episode and they did check ventilator it was it was totally check ventilator and usually if you're running low on vents you're not leaving vents behind in a patient's room like you're sending that <laughs> to central supply to get cleaned decontaminated and ready to go for the next one not just leaving it in the room going you see that thing over there in the corner that's gonna be you real soon it's not the the scary intimidating shape up or you're going to be using this machine looming in the corner yeah it's like the grim reaper kind of standing in the corner just just looking and leering at you like ready to go that's what it felt like because i knew that was going to get used by the end of this episode and it did so if if we see a ventilator in act two then the patient's going to be intubated by act four yeah so they did they they kind of already set her up they put her on the vent um and then they do a crash C-section, and the doctor was very bold in saying right away, this baby's COVID-free, before they did any tests or anything like that. 
because the baby was inside the mom. <laughs> but then, you know, she's not getting better, so they want to freeze her, basically. So they were they did an experimental treatment where they lowered her body temperature mm-hmm. significantly to give her more time to recover mm-hmm. without without having as hospitable of an environment for the virus. No. That that is no. not how it works. Okay. So I was good until the last sentence. So you were close. So basically what happens when you free someone is you lower their metabolic demand elsewhere and then oh, okay. help the part that needs to heal heal. So we actually do this in kids that are born with uh, what we call hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. So they're like not getting enough oxygen to the brain. So they'll cool down the brain to reduce the metabolic demand and allow it to heal. Mm-hmm. So you're basically... Okay. So think of it like... Oh, I can't believe I'm going to use this movie. Like, remember when Mr. Freeze and Batman and Robin froze his wife waiting for a cure mm-hmm. kind of situation? She's not, like, actively going through the disease process because she's too cold. Um, this one is a little less extreme. So the the cold slows time down a little bit. Yes, it does allow time for it to heal. You're, you're kind of buying time, but really you're buying time because you're not using up the fuse that's burning you're buying time because you're buying oxygen yes kind of kind of you're kind of what you're allowing is so your body's always in like kind of metabolic breakdown and when you're processing energy you're using a lot of energy in general right Mm -hmm. so you're trying to give it a chance for your body to supply to use that energy elsewhere like to heal instead of just to maintain functioning of that system if that makes sense yeah so so it's not wasting blood flow and oxygen to the same extent on your pinky toe mm-hmm. so that it can focus on on your lungs and your circulatory system and whatever's kind of being affected. Yeah. That's kind of like when people say they're put in a medically induced coma to heal. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing. You're trying to reduce the metabolic demand elsewhere to focus healing on that area. So think of it that way. But then okay. the unethical part was I feel like that doctor is trying to steal that baby. <laughs> because he was just so freaking bonded with it. Yeah. Bonded with the baby, but also I think Laura, my wife, had like a suggestion that like is he in love with this comatose lady? <laughs> and that's why he left his wife. I think so. I mean, I have to agree with that that theory that I think that um, he's in love with coma wife or coma mom. Yeah, tasty coma wife. Tasty coma. That mom. is the exact reference that I made too. Except this is not tasty coma wife. It is tasty coma patient. Tasty because ooh, that's Which that, is, yeah, that's 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 another step right there. But how oh, I mean, that whole thing just that was too much. Like I feel like it was like a un it was a forced love story for no good reason. And I felt that way. It really did. Mm-hmm. And this is not a doctor who was um being a doctor above and beyond. I feel like there was there was a little too much. <laughs> I'm just saying. And then she wakes up when they put the baby on her her chest. I think. Mm-hmm. And then she lives. She's able to hold the baby soon afterward. And this goes back to the discussion that we had earlier about your dad being extubated. It took him a while to get back to normal. Yeah. So he wasn't sitting up and holding the baby and all happy giddy. Right. It takes a while. You, yeah. you got to start that engine it, back up. And and we know that she, she was under for at least two weeks because we were getting time cards. She was under from, hold on, I wrote this down, from week five believe yep oh no week mm-hmm. four from week four to week nine. Oh wow yeah so five weeks she was intubated wow yeah that helped me i mean those stupid time cards do help mm-hmm. but that i mean it also paints a picture of how blase and how not blase laissez-faire about everything they were about masks and stuff like that because mm-hmm. as this pandemic kept raging no one wore their mask and it killed someone Right. Which is the greatest segue I can have to the last patient. Yeah, because the last patient was a nurse in the hospital. Yeah, I thought she was a transporter. I wasn't sure what her mm-hmm. what her thing was, but she was pushing around a patient who had abdominal pain, not wearing a mask, um, who thought that he had diverticulitis, sent through the CT scanner, found ground glass opacities, and then the doctor who was in the CT scanner freaked out and told everyone to wear a mask at that point. Right. Because, you know, I guess the attitude of the hospital at this point in time was if you're not on the COVID floor, you can wear your mask on your wrist and you'll be just fine. Yeah. And but they were all technically in the ER, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were doing triage outside. Everyone should be wearing a mask at that time. And I know when we first started out kind of separating 
potential COVIDs versus not potential COVIDs. Like if you came in with a broken arm versus you came in with belly pain, we were trying to divide you up into two different waiting rooms. Mm-hmm. But then every day, or it almost sounded like every other day, a new diagnosis or a new symptom would be associated with COVID. And it got to the point where you should just be wearing a mask and goggles with every patient. Because mm-hmm. that's the only way you're going to be safe. And then we had situations where we would see psych patients and people were like, ah, they're fine. We do a COVID test before they go off to an inpatient facility, come back COVID positive. Everyone's kind of retrospectively looking back like, was I wearing a mask? Was I wearing goggles? And then if you weren't, you were actually sent home and not allowed to work for two weeks. Okay. So the, so actually the you're not wearing a mask at this point in time was kind of accurate. It Not from the emergency department. Okay. Because you had to. There was no way okay. about it. Like you had to wear a mask with everybody. And I think that was... I think it was irresponsible how they kind of just depicted that part because everyone, I mean, Mm -hmm. and I guess it kind of made a good moral of the story too. Like, wear your mask, you don't know who has it. You might be sick and you might die. But at the same time, the wife of of the man whose foot was amputated Mm. wheeled him out of the intensive care unit to applause with no masks on any of the doctors, no masks on... Uh, him who is still co- likely COVID I positive or has no, he those two. Co- he shouldn't be COVID positive anymore, hopefully. But oh my God, uh, I, I totally did not realize that. That towards yeah, the end, that she went in and she wheeled him out herself to the to the applause line. She's ballsy, uh, ballsy walking through the COVID COVID unit with no mask mm-hmm. on. Ballsy, super ballsy. Right. Although who knows, maybe she had it. <laughs> well, to be fair. What's his face did blame her for getting her husband sick. Yeah. Right. So she might have right. had it. She might have had it. But even in, you know, going back to my family, in my family's case, that didn't mean that you could go into the hospital. Yeah. Even if you you tested positive and then and then clear. I still argue with patients to this day inside the hospital to put their mask on. Which is crazy, right? Like you're in a hospital, you gotta wear a mask. You're around the sickest, germiest people in the world. You don't want you don't want to take home what I have. It's the worst parting mm-hmm. gift of visiting my hospital in the world. Yeah, I mean, e- even if that parting gift is just pinworms. Oh God, you don't you don't know how much I wish we were talking about pinworms right now instead of this episode. <laughs> I would love to keep talking about pinworms because that's way more fun and hilarious compared to this episode. Yeah, uh, th- 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 this is not a, uh, a, a this episode was not a fun filled romp for either of us. No, but going back to that patient, she said. That nurse ends up like on high flow nasal cannula. She says, I know what ventilators do to people. And the first thing I yelled at the TV was, what, help you live? Um, Because she didn't want to get put on the vent because she knew she was going to die. But she was at 74% oxygen saturation, was not blue. And then eventually they unplug her or they turn off the ventilator and then she dies, which Mm -hmm. was a weird scene because they did that over and over again in the episode. You know, (laughs) they turn it off and immediately everyone flatlines. It doesn't go that quickly. Right. You know, unless they're all paralyzed and then you turned off the vent and then they stop breathing and then they die. That's murder. Um, <laughs> you should, you know, give some ventilatory support, but it's really rare when people just shut it off and then they die right away unless they were paralyzed and then you turned it off. Mm-hmm. That just sounds cruel. But yeah, I hated all this right. episode. I hate everything about it. Um, <laughs> not, not because like it was medically inaccurate. I just... Ugh, it was too dramatic. Did I have I not made this complaint before? I feel like I have. Yeah, yeah. That everything is so high intensity, high stakes, high drama, and in reality, yes, you're dealing with life or death situations, but you're there doing your job. Yeah. Also, unnecessary was how um, Sean's girlfriend t- teaching an autistic guy how to have phone sex. Did not appreciate yeah. that. Nope. No, that that was <laughs> did not. That felt exploited. I actually skipped through it because I said, <laughs> how can I get through this episode quicker? I know I'm going to skip through this part. I'm going to skip through any part with the CEO of the company arguing with his wife. Skip past that, too. Just want to get through these two episodes and then talk about it on this podcast because, good Lord, I could not take it anymore. Uh, no, good doctor. How dare you? Good Lord's a different show. How dare you? Um, I will say the the funny thing about all of this was we did name one of my drinks the OK Doctor because I refused to be notified as the good doctor at my wedding. So we called it the OK <laughs> Doctor. Totally happy about that. Um, so I guess bef- 
before we get into the important questions of this episode, yeah. uh, I do want to talk about what you think they really did get right. I mean, I think the biggest thing they got right, because this was kind of like a timeline progression kind of thing, was just mm-hmm. how uncertain we were about COVID in general. You know, mm-hmm. we were. We had no idea how it affected people, how to treat it really well. And even then, I don't know if we're still doing the best that we can. There's still so much to do. Um, learning how the disease progresses, like those are big things um, that they did really well. They got a lot of, for, they, they tricked you real good on that intubation stuff. But then I think that they did a good job of that for like the layperson. I think the only people that would really notice mm-hmm. that it was a really bad thing would be like ER doctors, anesthesiologists, and like ICU doctors. But that looked relatively good. Um, trying to think what else they did pretty well kind of explaining a lot of the symptoms the basic things that scared people if they can only just get their makeup department more involved in making people blue that would be nice too (laughs) i mean it's true like cyanotic people look scary they look like they're gonna die and i think the best case was that guy who got his foot cut off he looked horrible when right before they were gonna intubate him he looked Mm -hmm. blue as hell because he was gonna die he looked like he was gonna die and if they didn't cut off his leg he was probably gonna die Mm-hmm. And I think they were trying to add the wrinkles of an autistic doctor um, in there. And I don't care how smart you are as a doctor. If you talk to patients like that, you're not going to be a doctor for very long. It's a fact. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. I mean, we we always talk about at work, like, the difference between book smart and street smart people. Book smart people can tell you the what's wrong with you and the answers and all that stuff. But their patients are not going to come back. Mm-hmm. Street smart people, they'll get to the answer eventually. And they're pretty smart. But they want to. And make, their patients are going to show up. Their patients are going to show up for their next. Yeah, and they're going to put them at ease. And I think that was mm-hmm. like a big thing that kind of irked me a little bit about the good doctor. I'm like, oh god, he's quirky. Ha ha. This is not Sheldon, <laughs> this is not a Sheldon Cooper situation. This is like extreme compared to it. Yeah, because I think Sheldon and the Big Bang Theory is supposed to be autistic. I think they never. I don't think they ever really outright say it. But they, but, yeah. they definitely hinted at it very heavily. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I hate it. I hated all this. It hurt. It hurt so much. Speaking of which. Yes. The human centipede bills itself as 100% medically accurate. If that's the case, how medically accurate are, is the two-part season premiere of The Good Doctor Frontline? We just finished Bob's Burgers with a very excellent, accurate. Yeah, we just can't, we're coming off of two, like our two highest marks. I mean, this is Our highest mark for a movie and a TV show. This is still pretty high. You know that, too. Mm -hmm. You know this to be Mm -hmm. true. Um, it's no Lucy. Nothing can be as bad as Lucy, though. Except for Crank Two. Was Crank Two as bad as Lucy? Crank Two was worse. Crank Crank did Two. Zero Greg that? gave a zero. Oh, Greg did uh, zero that one. Yeah. Um, he bumped it up to a one, I believe. Yes. Oh my god, I'm trying to think this through. Medic, I I have to put my feelings aside about how much this episode just disappointed me, in general, in terms of like drama for drama's sake and just kind of try to think of this as objectively as possible this is hurting me right now um (laughs) on par with bob's burgers i would say really it is though like okay no a little less a little less than bob's burgers only because the itchiness and the description was really really accurate okay so bob's burgers was a 350 percent. bob's burgers was 3.5 times as medically accurate as human i'll say three so 300 okay so this is a 300 I mean, percent we are let's, let's discuss this like let's i'll uh-huh. break down the reasons why like okay the whole covid like timeline accurate mm-hmm. right um the mask the non-mask wearing is not a issue of medical accuracy it's an issue of negligence i <laughs> 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 think that's probably the bigger issue there well, we didn't see her in the show, but one of the main characters is the hospital's in-house attorney and vice president of risk management. Oh. Uh, maybe if we saw her more in the show, or maybe I think she actually might have been the one who was on the phone you know, a lot trying to get here's the thing. equipment. That might that could be a thing next episode because <laughs> why did no one wear masks? Everyone's getting sick, and then a nurse dies. That's uh-huh. a concern, right? Like. <laughs> You should you put you willingly put someone in danger and didn't come up with criteria for everyone to wear a mask and you potentially sent this high risk person in to work pushing around a patient who was COVID positive and then she ultimately dies. That's bad. <laughs> Knock it down two fifty. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and the other thing that's not accurate, I guess, is that that one female doctor who was digging around in the COVID materials for a long time, Mm -hmm. instead of working, mind you. Right. She spent more time looking up whose dog tags those belong to than actually saving lives. Right. Shame. Also, how common are ghost mentors? (sighs) I haven't seen one yet. Okay. Pretty pretty not, not common. Though I will say when I was volunteering as a teenager in a hospital and I had to wheel around beds in the basement, there were way too many gusts of winds and flickering lights in this one corridor <laughs> that right by the morgue that I was not having. <laughs> that that was the scariest hallway. I hated going down that hallway pushing beds um, because it was always, no one was ever down there other than like one or two people pushing beds, but it was always super creepy down there. So I don't know, maybe that's one of the ghost mentors. Yeah, your ghost mentor was Doug from Scraps. Doug. Doug would never survive in this hospital. <laughs> so a lot more medically accurate than I thought you'd give it. And so kudos to you for putting your feelings feelings of the drama aside. I mean, you would agree, too. Like, you saw a lot of the stuff, and you were able to pick out stuff that looked pretty good. And a lot of it yeah. did look really, really good. There were just certain, like, nitpicky things, really. But for the most part, like, the depiction of how and what we were all going through and wondering what was next was pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it, it was accurate. I just didn't like the show. That's two different <laughs> things. It's not like me watching The Resident and saying, oh, this is a great medical show. No, it's a terrible medical show with terrible medicine. Both <laughs> crappy on both parts. This is a show you don't like that did the medicine pretty well. I do not want to watch the next episode. I know there's going to be one where like, you, you can't miss the next episode of whatever medical show. Yeah. And I'm going to end up watching it and then just writing three pages again of pain. <laughs> That's, I think, no, I only got to two pages today. But still, that's too many pages <laughs> in general. I think we kind of touched on it a bit, mm-hmm. but is there a way that you would increase the medical accuracy while keeping the stakes high other than not having the good doctor be patient-facing? No. Okay. And have people, you know, who are working in a hospital wear their masks on their face and not their wrists. Again, that's a systems issue. Infection control would mm-hmm. be going around having a fit. <laughs> There are people that just go around like, put on your mask, put on your mask, slide it above your nose. I even do that when I'm in the work, like at work and people don't want to cover up their nose and just wear their mask over their mouth. I'm like, you got it. People being patients and family, not Mm -hmm. staff. Yeah. Staff, staff's pretty good about it. Staff knows better. Yeah. But I don't, Uh, I don't know those San Jose doctors. No comment. I, I am, I am a Southern California doctor. I don't know much outside of that right now, (laughs) but yeah, um, Please, I don't want to watch this again. Um, you can watch right. it if you like the good place. Uh, if you like the good place, watch that because that's a way better show than the Good Doctor. If you like the Good Doctor, watch that. We might not. Who knows? You might, but yeah, we'll be back. I, yeah, I think the one medical show for the month has been fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to more soon, but Jack- I think- Jackson has ticked that box. Jackson hates these, and I really enjoy them. <sighs> Because I get to see Jackson, like, rage twitch a little bit. It's uh, This is why we have to limit it to one per month is because of this <laughs> issue. Because medic- medicine inherently is a very dramatic kind of feel, right? But we're not that serious. Everyone mm-hmm. in all these shows that we've done are at such a high level of seriousness that it makes it not fun. And that's why I don't have a right. good time with it. And. No, I would assume that very few people go into this kind of high stakes, high pressure medicine as opposed to something where it is more of, you know, you're you're not dealing with emergencies on a day to day basis. They don't go into that if a they're not passionate about it and b they don't have coping mechanisms in place other than scream at your coworkers or hang out in in the catalog of dead people things yeah exactly <laughs> and and speak to your dead lover oh god that was so stupid that was so dumb that was as dumb as twitter's going nuts about him and we neither of us knew he was a ghost until until the beginning of the second episode that was as dumb as a twist on Grey's anatomy this week what was the twist on Grey's anatomy this week mcdreamy come visits Meredith. is he a ghost yeah. oh is he dead too Double ghost yeah oh two ghosts Oh, man. ABC, medical dramas equal ghosts. Just get used to it. Now we know. Yep. 
So when you're looking for medical consultants for the ghost doctor, oh. uh, Dr. Jackson Vane is available. Yep. Uh, give us a call at 530-DOCTOR. The B is for boo. <laughs> uh, call me after boo 30. All right. <laughs> uh, you're fired. Yeah. Uh, with that, thank you, Jackson. Glad to see you over Zoom. Same. People, unlike the doctors at san jose st bonaventure hospital uh wear your damn masks uh so that we can record in person again please thank you stay safe everybody yep bye folks